Well, good morning, Evergreen. Welcome to everyone, especially if you're new here. Welcome to those online. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I want to say with all the warm weather we've had and with the fair that if you guys are wanting me to stay, you're doing a very good job. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been lovely. Uh, just, yeah, I've loved the warm weather. Um, I also want to say thank you for your generosity towards me and Yvette. Um, I've just really felt it with the people that have invited us over, people that have gone for coffee with Yvette. Um, just really appreciative of your love towards us. With that said, um, some people, I realized last week I left on a cliffhanger, and I didn't mean to. I had talked about the house that we got the inspection on, and I was like, oh, I didn't actually finish that story. Someone came up and talked to me during the week. So what happened? And I was like, oh, I didn't mean to uh, leave that on a cliffhanger. So uh, coming December 1st, me and Yvette will have a house. Um, so that is very exciting. So... We've signed all the papers. It just needs to go through the lawyer now. So inspection went well and all those different things. So, and we are overjoyed. We'll actually just be about a kilometer away from the church. And uh, so it'll be lovely. It's um, just, we're thankful that we can raise a family here and hopefully be here for many years. Uh, it's a real blessing. So I'm not sure about you, but I remember Thanksgiving meals and Thanksgiving time with fondness with my family. I come from a family of five. I have one brother, one older sister, older brother, older sister, and yes, they're both very tall, so it uh, runs in the family. But I remember just the, um, the waft that would come from the kitchen, um, just as my mom would bake the turkey and be baking uh, various things, and just that smell would kind of rise up, and you just, you kind of get that feeling, it's Thanksgiving time. And I remember all the pumpkin pie, you know, you go to Costco and you get this like gigantic pumpkin pie that is like made for three families, but you just have it for one family. And uh, definitely had way too much pumpkin pie. My dad would actually, he would stock up on pumpkin pies and put them in the freezer during Thanksgiving season because my dad loves pumpkin pie. And I remember, you know, the leaves as they begin to blanket uh, the ground and just the kind of that chill in the air, you know, it's not quite winter, but it's not summer anymore. And I just remember just that kind of filling my heart. And I remember the laughs and just kind of being with family. And I think most of all, though, I value being together as a family. Just being with my brother, my sister. Often we'd have other people over with us. And how important that is for our development. I believe family and belonging are so important for people to thrive. I mean, studies have shown this, that people that grow up in strong families usually do much better later on in life. And just with that, I also believe being part of a church, a church family, a healthy church family is so important for our health. But I remember something that happened throughout the years. All of you who've been in families have gone through this. As the years go by, people begin to age. Families change. It's a part of life. I remember, I'm the youngest, and so I remember growing up with a brother and sister my whole life, and I remember the time my brother went off to college, and that was really difficult, because me and my brother were very close, and I remember just feeling kind of abandoned, and then I remember a few years later, my sister goes to college, and now I'm the only person left, and I remember just trying to grapple with that and just be like, I feel like the family's broken, and my family wasn't broken. My parents were still very loving, and, you know, like my brother and sister would come and visit every now and then, but I remember this sense of, of loss, and I know maybe some of you this morning 
maybe can't identify with that. And I hope that Evergreen would be a place of family for you. Because I know for me, family has been such a blessing. Church is meant to be a family. We're meant to be together. And I know that sometimes churches always don't do this well. But I hope that Evergreen would be a place of love and unity. We've kind of been, we'd be going through this series, Formed in the Image, and I want to this morning focus on being formed in the body. That we need a church to help form us into the image of Jesus. Just as a healthy family helps form a child, a baby, into a teenager, into an adult, how that is needed and how church is needed to form a believer when they're young to when they're older. We need one another. So let's pray before we read the scriptures. Lord, I thank you for Evergreen. Lord, thank you for this fall weather. Lord, thank you for Thanksgiving. Thank you that we can be with one another as a family. Help us to represent you well. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Empower us as we read the scriptures, as I preach, as I teach, Lord. Lord, examine us, convict us, change us into the image of your Son. In your name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible on a phone or in physical copy or however, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to be going to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. 12 verses to 26. Now, this is a bigger chunk of scripture, so I'm not going to have time to teach on all of it. And so I want you to know, if you want to come talk to me afterwards or you want more resources, I'm always open. Anytime you hear me preach, if you're like, eh, I, don't, I don't agree with that or I want more information, please come talk to me. You know, I'm a person that enjoys dialogue. I think it's important as the body of Christ that we dialogue with one another, that we talk when we struggle. And uh, just to get a bit of a kind of some context onto this passage here is that Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, they had this struggle. They often would look at each other as better than the other person. They grew up in the Roman times, and there's a sense of kind of social status based on um, kind of your position in society, so whether that be wealth or, you know, a political position or something like that. And they would use this to kind of be above one another. And now Paul is addressing the Corinthian church because they've experienced the Holy Spirit, and now they have the gifts of the Spirit, and now what they're doing is the people who have certain gifts are using those gifts to prop themselves up as higher than someone and so it's creating these ungodly hierarchies, these people saying, you know, I have this gift. And so Paul is addressing this here in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. Let's read. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It isn't not for that reason any less a part of the body. And that the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It is not for the reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable 
And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. Amen. So this morning, the first thing that I wanted to talk about is that we're called to be in unity. In unity. Here at the beginning of verse 12, Paul teaches the church has many parts. It's diverse, but we are part of one body. Verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. I kind of want to zero in on verse 13, where Paul mentions Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free. In the first century, when Paul is writing this, these were groups that were not meant to associate with one another. This idea that Paul is putting forth, to many would have been considered ridiculous. These groups may have interacted with one another on the road or the market, but they weren't supposed to have close associations. There would be great division. If you can imagine Jewish people at the time, they would have been raised up with disdain for the Romans. We're not meant to interact with them. They're the ones who are oppressing us. And you could think of the Gentiles, how they many would have pursued the Jew, perceived the Jews maybe as people that were obstinate, people that were conquered, people who were rebellious. And so when you have Jews and Gentiles beginning to mix, you have these leftover prejudices that were taking, kind of affecting the relationship. And I think it's maybe easy for us to dismiss the radical nature of what Paul is saying. But can you imagine, say, for example, if I was brought up in the States and I was raised, say, you know, like in a KKK clan or something like that, and I was taught to hate black people. And then all of a sudden, Paul is saying, you know, you need to have a relationship with these people. That would be very difficult because you're raised with these prejudices that are so kind of inbred into you. And so when Jews and Gentiles are coming together, this is not a difficult thing. Sorry, this is a difficult thing. And part of actually the reason why Paul writes Romans is to help the church as they navigate kind of these Gentile and Jewish things. How do they be one body together? It's not easy to be a family And I think Paul says something even more radical here, that slave and free are to be one. Now, I want to note that often when we think of slavery in the Bible, there is a difference between kind of our notion of slavery. Often when we think of slavery, we think of uh, the colonial powers in the European nations. But I want to say that ancient slavery in the first century and colonial slavery are not the same thing, but there is crossover. To be a slave in the first century, you were usually at the bottom of the social hierarchy. You were seen as lesser, your property to someone. And so then Paul is saying, guess what? You free people and you slaves, you're being brought into one body. This would have run very counter to the Roman way of thinking. Paul is saying, in Jesus, these divides that we have should not exist. These hierarchies that we use to make one another be better than another, that's not how it is in the kingdom of God. 
Now, we may not have the radical prejudices in the first century, maybe between Jews and Gentiles in Canada. Obviously, we know that there are people that are anti-Semitic. But I think if we examine our hearts and we think of Canada, sometimes I've seen attitudes throughout the years towards the indigenous people, for example. Would indigenous people consider coming into a church? Perhaps our church. And maybe we don't have a recognized slave class in Canada, but I think it's easy in our society to look down on people in the lower socioeconomic class, people that maybe have lower end jobs, maybe people who are on assistance, EI. How do we look at migrant workers? How do we look at immigrants that come to Canada who maybe work in industries that are lower class? Do they feel welcome? Do they feel one? Do they feel in unity with us? Maybe in our own town, how do we look at those who struggle with addictions, visible addictions, those with mental health issues, those struggling, experiencing homelessness? If they came here, would they feel welcome? Would they feel one? And I feel at Evergreen that most of everyone here would say an emphatic yes. I feel like this is a church that wants to reach out. But I think we also have to ask, maybe are there parts of us that hold prejudice? Are there parts of our hearts that need to be healed by Jesus? I appreciate my father, my, my, my dad, like in Edmonton. Not, not, I appreciate my heavenly father, but also my dad, I should say. And I remember my dad, um, as I grew up in Edmonton, how he would interact with immigrants and with uh, just indigenous peoples and, and the, the effort that he would take as I grew up in Edmonton, Edmonton was mostly, uh, I would say, Caucasian, but through the years, we had a lot of immigrants come, and it became much more multicultural throughout the years. And my father, what he would do is he would often meet these people, and he would learn phrases in their mother tongue. And so he would learn these phrases, and he would have small conversations with these people. And you could see in their eyes, when my dad would address them, they would just light up because he'd be speaking their language. And I remember as a teenager, I didn't, I was like, Dad, why are you doing this? Like, let's, let's get our groceries and get out of here. Why are you talking to the grocery clerk? Like, why are you taking your time to show the love of Jesus? I mean, like, you know, like that's, I mean, if you, if you, like, if you actually look at my heart, that's what I was saying, you know? And my dad would try to teach me these phrases, and I'd be kind of like, whatever, like, I don't care. I'm a teenage boy. And, you know, but my heart... I was so convicted this week as I was writing this sermon because I was like, man, my heart was so not like Jesus. You know, I, the way that my dad would talk with these people, how he'd bring dignity to them. He'd take extra time to connect with them and ask how they're enjoying Canada, what struggles they're facing, things like that. And just the fact that my dad would take the few extra minutes at the grocery store at other places just to talk to these people. And I can only imagine how much more our Heavenly Father sees these people as equals, as people made in the image of God, not any different than us in their worth at all. As a church, would we be willing to be a family with these people? Jesus loves all people. All are made in his image. There's no hierarchy or social class in the kingdom of God. Jesus' blood destroys these things. We're united in Christ through Jesus. We are called to be a unity with diversity, a unity with diversity. Corinthians 12, 16. <clears throat> and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body. 
it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But it is as God has arranged each one of the parts of the body, just as he wanted it. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts of the body, but the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need one another. We as a church are not complete without one another. Just as when my brother and sister were gone, I didn't feel the family was complete, and so that is with the church. And the fact is we need diversity in this body to be strong. One of the greatest weaknesses, I think, of the Western church is how individualistic we are. I grew up in a pastor's home, and my dad, as a good pastor, we'd always go to church every Sunday, whether on vacation, wherever we are, always, always church on Sunday. And so because of that, I experienced different churches. And I noticed something. Birds of a feather flock together. People who would think similarly, people who would worship similarly, people with similar ideas and politics tend to unite with one another. Because, let's face it, it's easier when you think the same as someone to be with them in the same room. <laughs> but I think the church suffers for it. One example I think of is music worship. I've been to churches that have very kind of lovely hymns and times of solitude. And then I've been to churches that are very charismatic and you know, very passionate and exuberant. And I love both of these things. But what often happens in churches is that there's usually only one expression of worship. Or I've been at churches that have a deep value of scripture, you know, and they're very intellectual and thoughtful, and they take time to preach. And then I've been to sermons where, you know, it's very kind of passionate, full of emotion, and, you know, lots of practical advice. And somehow in the body of Christ, these things have separated, when actually in the body of Christ, these things are meant to come together. We need passionate, exuberant worship, and we need times of thoughtful, solitude worship, where we sit and listen. We need times of passionate preaching and times of preaching that is deep and thoughtful. These things are not meant to be in disunity with one another. I feel like sometimes in the church, we get a whole bunch of eyes together or a whole bunch of feet. But the thing is, we need different people. We need different gifts. And I understand that, yes, there is a breaking point. There are sometimes things that are impossible to reconcile. If I'm honest, I would have a very difficult time in a church working with a Christian who didn't see people made in the image of God. There are some things that do sometimes make it difficult, but I think far, it is far too easy in our culture to separate and be individualistic in the way we do church. In the church of Corinth, there are people that feel they didn't belong. They weren't like this person with this gift, or they didn't have this ability and Paul's saying, no, we're all together. We're not meant to be separate. If this person leaves, you know, like the body suffers. When my brother wasn't at Thanksgiving, it, it hurt. I, was, I missed my brother. I loved my brother. We were close. We need one another. God desires that we embrace one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 24b to 26. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the lesser, honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We're called to embrace one another. I love these few last verses, this idea of like being in solidarity with one another. 
When someone is going through suffering, we suffer with them. We enter into their suffering with them as a family. When someone is honored or there's rejoicing, we rejoice with one another. It's this idea of radical unity that is counterintuitive to the way of Rome. And I think when we read this passage, we actually, we track with this body metaphor. We understand that, you know, we need feet, we need legs, we need arms. We don't have these things. These things create difficulties for us in life. But it's actually interesting. In the time of Rome, this use of a body metaphor was used to oppress people. There was a consul in the 5th century uh, named Menius Agrippa. And he used the speech of a body, basically, to make sure the poor stayed poor, the slaves to stay slaves, and people not to revolt. There was a city that was revolting, and he says to them, you guys need to stay as you are, because you need to support the head. You need to support the rest of the body. Where Paul is actually taking the opposite. He says, yes, we're different, and we're part of the body, but we actually honor one another. We meet with one another. There's not meant to be this divide. So Paul, when he's using this body metaphor of honoring the less honorable, he's actually going the opposite way of Roman power. I think that's why the word embrace here is so important. We're called to embrace one another. Embrace is not easy sometimes when we differ. It's hard to embrace someone who has a differing political position than us sometimes. It's hard to embrace someone who sees maybe scripture differently than we do sometimes but yet we're called to embrace one another. I think of Pastor Keith and how he played such an important part of our body. The last verse, if one member suffers, all the members suffered, and one is honored, we all rejoice. And Keith, I want to say that we're mourning because you're leaving, but yet we're so thankful for the work you've done. We need one another in the body, and another church will need Keith. Because in church transition, those are the times when church are the most vulnerable. And we also, we need one another. I can only think of Pastor Tamil wasn't here, how much the body would have suffered. We all need one another. I can only imagine that the elders weren't as good as they were and the deacons coming to Evergreen. It's been amazing to see the strength of the different teams. We need one another to thrive. Evergreen, we're called to be like Christ. We need one another. Don't feel lesser because maybe you think you have a smaller gift. That's not how Jesus sees it. We're called to embrace one another in the body of Christ. And we can't do this alone. No one is higher or lower than one another. One thing I appreciate about the Mennonite brethren is the sense that we're all called to be priests. I may be your pastor. I may be your shepherd. But that doesn't mean that I'm higher than you or better than you or greater than you in any way. We're all called to the kingdom. We're all called. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Evergreen, Lord. I thank you for this time, Lord. Pray you bless us in the rest of the service, Lord. Be with Pastor Keith as he shares, Lord, in your name. Amen.